You are back with the conversation on Hawaii Public Radio. This is Catherine Cruz. We've heard about driverless cars, but what about driverless electric scooters? Well, they're a reality in a business park in Georgia that was launched last summer. And if the owner of GoEx Scooters has his way, he would bring them here to the islands. Earlier this month, we told you about the new scooter rental business that's been turning heads around Honolulu. We first saw them in Kaka'ako, but they're predominantly in Waikiki. But do the new rental scooters pick up where Lime scooters left off? You may remember the city seized the Lime rentals when the company went rogue and dropped some 400 scooters in Honolulu without the city's blessing. So when the Go Scooters appeared on Oahu, the city said it was unclear about the company's business model and was cautious about what action, if any, it would take. The Waikiki Improvement Association says residents began calling to complain, which may have triggered a text warning customers not to ride them on the sidewalks. We caught up with Alexander Develov, the owner of GoX, when he was in town last week. A very helpful way to think about what GoX is and what GoX isn't. Lime is a company that lets you take a scooter, uh, uses the public uh, right-of-way as a place for people to rent and drop off scooters. Versus GoX, what we do, our business, our actual customers are not people renting scooters. Our customers are actually different businesses. So we partner with hotels, we partner with bike rental shops, we partner with different types of businesses that allow then their customers to come in and rent these scooters and kind of go on different tours around the city. So unlike Lime, we work with private businesses that allow us to do to, to we partner with, and they, they are the ones renting out these uh, scooters. And number two, the customers don't uh, leave them anywhere around the city. They actually have to return them to different GoX locations where they're renting those scooters from. So that, you believe, is the big difference then, is that they're not just uh, strewn about on the sidewalk? Yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot of there's a lot of number of things. So for me, you know, I love Oahu. I've been coming here for the last 10 years, and I love the island. I love the people. I love everything about this place. And when I look at it, and um, I, you know, it was my dream for like the last two years to bring our scooters here. A year ago, I got in touch with um, the transportation department of Honolulu, and we started talking with different folks. And I started to understand what were the mistakes that Lime made. What are what are the what, how can we make this dream come true of basically bringing a really cool micro mobility solution to this place that will allow people to use eco-friendly solutions to get around that will make sure that the city you know basically that it works. Not something that Lime did. And when I started talking to them, what I found out is that Lime made a lot of mistakes. For one, they came into the city without unannounced. They didn't really involve anybody in the community to help them solve problems. They created a lot of problems. People were dropping off everywhere. They were going, they were, you know, driving them recklessly. There's just a lot of different issues that occurred. So before we even kind of jumped into it, I said, okay, how can we address all this day one? And the, and we, thankfully, we already had a business model that was working in Florida, Texas, and Georgia that allowed us to go from that allowed us to partner with different businesses. Basically, it's not a doctor solution. It's a B2B model where we partner with hotels, bike rental shops, cafes, and other small businesses and allow them to rent, to rent out our scooters. And uh, we started pitching this model, looking, revising, you know, figuring out where people can and cannot ride, what kind of restrictions we can put in place, you know, how can we properly launch this, got different constituents involved. And it was actually a year behind the scenes of hard work that we did before we even launched here. And even now, it's like you mentioned, you know, we didn't launch a huge fleet, like 100 scooters is not actually a big fleet by, by the standards of scooter companies. Uh, if you look at a city like San Francisco, they have 2,000 scooters. If you look at a city like Los Angeles, they have 10,000 scooters. So yet Honolulu, by research, has been voted as the number one city with the micromobility potential in the whole country of the United States. And yet, you know, we've launched, we've currently, you guys have 100 GoX scooters here. So when you talk about the potential and you talk about how many scooters we have today, it's a very, very small number compared to what it could be. And the reason for that is because we wanted to see, you know, let's launch a trial and let's see what happens. Let's see what kind of issues we're going to run into. Is this actually going to work? Is this going to be safe for everyone? Is everyone, you know, how can we make sure that this is not only a uh, valuable transportation solution, but it also addresses all the issues that other providers have and also maybe issues that we don't really know that could happen. When did you launch it? We launched January 20th. I actually launched it on my birthday. January 20th. And then who did you uh, talk to at the city when you said uh, you reached out to them, uh, what, more than a year ago? Yeah, we reached out to the transportation department uh, because they're the ones that are the closest, the closely involved with all these type of solutions. Uh, who did you talk to there? Because when I checked with the uh, DTS deputy, 
John Nauchi, he said that uh, the only thing they got was yeah. an email from you, and uh, they haven't talked to anyone mm-hmm. directly. So we haven't talked to his John. We talked to his Travis Silta, who is one of his constituents, and he, Travis is actually involved with all the bike-sharing uh, sort of, uh, initiatives in the city and um, would be the point for point of contact and microbiology solutions. John is his boss, and John kind of oversees all the transportation that takes place in, the, in Honolulu. Okay, so you said you, you contacted him first? We, we've been in touch with him for over a year, yes. Uh, okay, but you have talked to him directly? Of course. So tell us about the locations where you have these scooters. Yeah, definitely. Um, it's a, it, We partner with hotels, so hotels like Aspen Hotel, the La Croix Hotel, the Hawaiian Monarch, Ohia. If you actually go to goxapp.com and download our app, you will see all the different hotels. It's about 12 hotels that we're currently working with. There, we're working with 12 hotels and a bike rental shop, and so you can actually see it in GoXApp, all of the different locations where, that we're partnered with today and where, that we, which we've launched. And for them, this has been a great thing because they've already made tens of thousands of dollars from being a partner of GoX and renting out these scooters to their customers. So uh, I tried to look you up on a business search, and I couldn't find anything under GoX. Are you operating under a different name? Yeah, yeah. So the GoX is a, is a we're doing business as, but the corporate entity is called Cheetah Exing. What, what was that? Um, the corporate entity has a different name. It's a Cheetah X Inc. is the corporate entity. Cheetah X? Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. That's the parent company. Okay. Um, and um, gosh. Okay. So you are pri- primarily in Waikiki. Yes, yes. Waikiki is, is where our customers are, yes. And I did happen to see a number of your scooters there on Cook Street between uh, Boca Hawaii and the brewing company. Uh, what's the situation there? Well, when we launched, we have a number of partners that wanted to partner with us. And one of the bike rental owners at Cook Street, he asked us to basically see if we wanted to launch with him. And we, we ran a small trial with him for about five days. And it wasn't really showing the good, like it, it wasn't working. And so we, we, we stopped working there. Okay, and so you're, are you planning to expand in Kaka'ako? For now, we're, we're running a trial. Right now, we, we brought only 100 scooters. We're only partnered with about 12 different partners in Waikiki. Our customers today, as we kind of see the, the, the demand, and what we're seeing is that the demand in Waikiki far outstrips the supply that we currently have. There are certain issues that we're working with to make sure that everything is safe, People are not riding them on sidewalks. You know, just like different little things. But today, as far as we see an opportunity in the city of Honolulu, in Waikiki, the opportunity far outstrips what we can supply. So I think it's a little bit early for us to say, are we going to expand in the area where we launched and it's just like not really working? Rather than focus on something that's working well and making sure that it's actually, you know, can be a long-term solution and not a short-term stunt. Now, a number of the uh, micromobility have come to the table with the city to talk about how they can change the traffic code in order to make this type of business work. I believe it's companies like Lyft, Skip, Spin, Bird, who have submitted testimony uh, about changing the traffic code. Uh, that's going through the legislature right now. Uh, have you submitted testimony on this? So those companies, they have a very different business model. So the, the companies I just mentioned, if you look at all the markets that they, they operate in, their business is actually leaving scooters on streets. So they're using the public property as a way for people to rent and leave scooters behind. So their business model is we're being a dockless scooter provider, which basically means that I can pick up a scooter anywhere on the streets and leave them around the city. The challenges with that, the biggest challenge with that is actually if you have a 1,000 or 2,000 scooters left in the streets of Honolulu, you're going to find scooters kind of littering and, I would say, taking away from the beautiful city that you already have. I would say that's number one. And, there, and then you have a number of other issues because it's much harder for you to enforce. It's much harder for you to solve different problems. Like if somebody picks up a scooter and is driving recklessly, you don't know where they picked it up from. And, you know, basically it creates a lot of different issues. In our case, what we've done is we've gone to places that were already renting bikes, were already renting mopeds, were already in this business. And we basically give them our product as a, an additional transportation solution to things that we're already providing. And so within that, we worked with the city to figure out what is legal, what's not legal, to make sure that we kind of meet those codes. And if you look into the bills that they're currently talking about, the biggest issue that the city of, Waikiki, of Honolulu has 
with the with the dockless providers is that the scooters are not left everywhere around the city. They're actually discussing creating different parking spaces where people can pick them up and drop them off in order for this to be a feasible long-term solution. But we're not in that business. Like we're not a dockless scooter provider. We're a B2B model, and we're simply adding to what was already being provided. But unlike a bike or a moped, this is just a different transportation solution for people to get around. Most of the people who are renting them, they're not going from, I don't know, home to an office. They're people visiting the island, and they want to go around Diamond Head to tour the city or something of that nature. The city seems to consider the scooters a type of moped, and so that restricts you know, where you can be. And it also requires that you register the devices. Have you registered your scooters? The moped is a different type of vehicle. Moped is a vehicle that has a seat on it, and it can go up to 35 miles an hour. It's, it's a very different type of it. So if you think of what a moped is, moped is a, you know, you sit down on it, you need to have a driver's license, you are going to be using the public roads because you're going to be basically using the roads that the cars are going on. You're not going to be using bike lanes for a moped. And so the liability, the risk, the safety profile, and just like the vehicle itself is a completely different vehicle. Plus, mopeds don't have an electric, like you know, most mopeds actually have a gas-powered engine. So by all that definition, a lot of the current uh, laws are around mopeds. And so we looked into that issue as well. And basically right now we're an electric scooter, which as you can probably see a lot of people are using their personal electric scooters to get around town. And um, we're not really exactly a moped, at least by that definition. That was Alex Debelov, the man behind GoX Rental Scooters. The company has hired the local firm of Sullivan, Meheula, and Lee, which includes Terrence Lee, former chair of the Hart Board, and Ernie Martin, former Honolulu City Council chairman. Lee is of the opinion that the scooters are not considered mopeds, and he points to the bills under consideration that clarify the definition of what is and isn't allowed under the traffic code. Uh, as we mentioned when we talked to Debelov last week, we couldn't find that the company had been registered to do business in Hawaii uh, either under GoX or CheetahX. The Department of Commerce and Consumer Affairs told us Friday afternoon that the company had only just submitted the paperwork, even though it's been operating those scooters since January. Support for Hawaii Public Radio comes from the Scheidler College of Business at UH Manoa, offering a distance EMBA in travel industry management. Scheidler.hawaii.edu. To better understand the number of police shootings and racial disparities in the social justice system, Rosa Brooks became a reserve police officer in Washington, D.C. when she was a tenured law professor in her 40s. Her mother, writer and leftist activist Barbara Ehrenreich, disapproved. On the next Fresh Air, we talk with Brooks about her new memoir. Join us. Beginning this afternoon at 3, following On Point. This is The Conversation on statewide, member-supported Hawaii Public Radio. Up next, your Backyard Quiz. For today's quiz, we're looking ahead to one of our guests on the show. Comedian Frank DeLima joins us to share his latest musical parodies. Over his decades-on career, DeLima has won numerous awards, including multiple Nahoku Hanohano Awards for Best Co uh, Comedy Album of the Year. But did you know that his many accolades includes a namesake at the Honolulu Zoo? Yep, there's an animal at the zoo named after Hawaii's beloved comedian. For today's quiz, we want to know what kind of animal was named after Frank DeLima at the Honolulu Zoo. Those of you who like puns will have a head start. Call 941-3689 or 877-941-3689. 
If you think you know the answer, the first one to get it right gets a reusable tote bag that tells people you got it right. Support for the Backyard Quiz comes from Nareet Hawaii, which represents real estate businesses committed to strengthening communities by supporting affordable housing with support for nonprofits such as Honolulu Habitat for Humanity. Learn more at nareethawaii.com. The Conversation is celebrating its 10th anniversary this week. We aired our first show on Valentine's Day 2011. Our first guests, Danny Robinson and Alan Castro, were planning their civil union ceremony as then-Governor Neil Abercrombie prepared to sign a bill that would enshrine that right in law. Danny came on our show to share his thoughts. I see a validation of our relationship of 35 years. Alan and I have lived as a family and we're accepted by our community in every other way. But being able to solemnize our vows, to be able to stand in front of my friends and family and tell Alan my commitment to him and how I love him and how I want to spend the next 35 years of our life with each other. And that was 10 years ago. Civil unions began in the state on January 1st, 2012. Producer Savannah Harriman Pope called Danny and Alan to see how they celebrated and to check in on how they fared through this pandemic. Your friends were looking forward to planning a civil union ceremony for you because the civil unions bill was coming down the pipe in Hawaii. How was that ceremony for you two? Well, we actually never ended up having a civil union ceremony uh, because of the pace of change and how rapidly things were moving along. We decided to wait until we could have a, a real marriage ceremony, um, not a civil union ceremony. We waited until our anniversary, I think it was in 2014, right, Alan? Uh, yeah, January 10th, uh, yeah. 2014. It was actually a year after marriage equality had actually been passed, and we waited a year, and then we had a wedding on our anniversary. And I think it was our 33rd? 38th. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's wonderful. And where did you two celebrate? You want to go ahead, Alan? We had the ceremony and the uh, event at the Hilo Bay Cafe in Hilo. It was a restaurant that we'd been going to since we'd moved to Hilo, and they had just recently moved into a new location. It was right on the bay. We started out with only a few, maybe about 50 people, but ended up getting to be a lot more. I think we ended up having about 65 or 70 Oh, 73. And 73. Yeah. And we had a really good time because we invited all of the political people, uh, other people who had been involved in the fight for marriage equality. And so it was kind of like a celebration and a toasting of what we had all accomplished. Last time we spoke with you, Danny, I understand you were Danny Robinson, but are now officially Danny Castro, and that that process has been a little bit frustrating. <laughs> It was kind of funny because I didn't tell anybody I was going to change my name, and then it was time to sign the marriage license, and I signed Danny Castro. But in order to save um, some semblance of who I was before Danny Castro, I used my, uh, what I would call my maiden name, 
um, as my middle name. So my name is actually Annie Ray Robinson Castro. Changing the legal part on all the documents and everything like that was fairly easy. I think, and I, I don't know if this is something that I didn't realize would happen, but once you change your name, you kind of become a different person. And a lot of people who knew you before uh, have to get used to you as the new person. I would say to people who are thinking of doing that to think long and hard before they give up their name because it really does change things in a positive way, but also in a little bit of a, it makes you a little bit, um, well, I don't know how to put it, it makes you have to move on, you know, and um, start a new life. Hmm. Yeah, I think that is that is an important note, absolutely. And I think balancing your own individuality in a healthy, functional relationship is something people try to do for years. And you two have been doing it successfully for a long time. So <laughs> what advice would you give to someone who's looking to have a 45-year partnership? Ellen? I think just uh, just uh, don't, don't focus on that so much as just day by day, just trying to... Um realize what's important you can't really calculate you know how long you're going to be together or how long you're going to live but uh, you once you wake up in the morning you got a day and you just live that day as best you can and be grateful for what you got well i i think also that um it's important to put yourself in somebody else's shoes also and so in a relationship you're constantly being challenged to see things from the other person's point of view and no matter how long you're together with each other, it's still a challenge. You still have to wake up in the morning and say, okay, today I'm going to do my very best to see Alan's point of view or see how he feels about things. And then maybe it'll help me understand him more. And hopefully he will be doing the same thing for me. So I just think it's, it's important as any, any relationship you have with anybody to put yourself in their shoes and try to understand where they're coming from and the frustrations they're feeling mm. or the joy they're feeling. Yeah, I know that the pandemic has posed an unexpected challenge to a lot of couples and had them really have to practice empathy in real time. <laughs> <laughs> How did you two adapt to the new landscape of the last year? Well, for me, it's been very difficult. Um, I've always been involved and social, and so this has sort of cut me off from a lot of the, the uh, social outlets that I had, even going small things like going to the gym or spending time with friends, having lunch, having birthdays, those kind of things. And so all you can do is hope and pray that in the back of your mind this will be over soon and it does look better as the vaccines become more available. And just be as careful as you can, because you're not in a relationship by yourself. You're in a re relationship with somebody else, and you have to protect them as much as you protect yourself. And so we've been very, very quiet and living very close to each other, but it's very, very difficult. It does cause a problem with mental health, and I think a lot of people are dealing with that. I cannot even imagine what the people who have children or a lot of monetary problems are going through. It's just such a difficult time. And I believe it will actually change our society. In a way, it's kind of um, made us more aware of the inequalities in our society. So it hasn't put anything um, in the back burner. I think things are still moving along. There are still groups trying to use their religious freedoms to take the rights away from lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, and queer folks. Uh, every day they want to um, uh, discriminate on, uh, against couples, uh, married couples. They, they want to enshrine that in laws. And in many states, there are laws that allow people to discriminate, continue to discriminate against LGBTQ people. And I believe that uh, people, especially transgender people, transgender people of color, and um, uh, elderly gay people are having a very difficult time with this pandemic. Um, people who are marginalized in our society, any type of person that's marginalized in our society, is suffering right now. And it's up to all of us to kind of bond together. And if you see someone who's suffering or somebody who needs help, to step forward and, you know, spend a day with somebody or 
take somebody um, for a walk. I mean, within safe distance and practicing all the safe guidelines. But you have to reach out to other people at this time. Hmm. Yeah, as um, as you know, I've been in a couple. It's been easier in some ways because and being retired uh, before this happened, uh, we're used to spending a lot of time together, probably more so than most couples. And um, uh, you know, all in all, we don't we, we we get along pretty darn well, considering you know we're here you know 24/7, and we we've been more or less cocooned in except for, you know, the essentials. But so for, I think for that reason, it was probably a little bit easier for us to adapt and live the situation. Uh, and, um, but we do have a lot of empathy and compassion for people that are uh, in situations where, you know, just for the luck of a few things, a few years difference in age and, uh, and, and situations, you know, they're, they're in a situation that can be very difficult. We have hard spats once in a while, but we, considering we've been, together for 45 years and almost uh, essentially uh, together for one year uh, with very little separation at all, um, you know, we, we feel very grateful. But I think it has a lot to do with the length of time we've been together and especially this last, uh, uh, the last since we've been retired that we've, um, you know, had to spend a lot more time together. Did either of you learn? Have we been on lockdown for 10 years? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I was just going to ask. Did either of you learn anything new about the other one in the past mm. year in the kind of intense cocoon <laughs> that many people are experiencing in the pandemic? Alan? Are you <laughs> I think that... Well, uh, I... Uh, go ahead, Danny. Well, if, um, even after all these years together, you're always learning something new about the other person. And maybe it might not be new, but maybe you just forgot that that was something that was um, involved in the relationship because uh, things uh, that happened years and years ago sometimes come back up. And you go, I thought I dealt with this before, but you have to deal with it again. But I don't know if we've learned a whole lot of new things about each other because we know each other so well. I think we're just, <clears throat> every day we're, we're dealing with trying to treat, treat each other with respect and kindness. And, you know, some days it gets very difficult because the only person that you see is your spouse. So the only person I see is Alan. So who else am I going to take my frustrations out on? So I think <laughs> I've learned things about myself um, and my dealing with my own frustrations and my uh, and how it's easy to take them out on the people around you, especially the people that you love the most and know the most. Hmm. Ellen, do you have any retort? <laughs> <laughs> well, well, for, for me, I've always looked at uh, life, you know, I was very religious when I was a kid, but I always look at life more as uh, yeah, we're in purgatory, not hell, you know, um, things are going to get better, <laughs> and uh, life, you just have to take it as it comes, and just have that in mind, that this, this is, everything is transitory and, and temporary, um, and this will get better, <clears throat> and um, we just have to wait it out, and unfortunately, when you're in the middle of it, it's... Uh, it does seem like hell and not purgatory, but, you know, that's a good, I think it's a good perspective to have, and it helps me anyway. Hmm. Well, that's a very Catholic perspective. It is. <laughs> you yeah. have. But um, I might say that we're not in hell or purgatory. We're actually here in life, and it's beautiful. And we just have to remember that and try to appreciate you know, the sun on the palm tree leaves or a beautiful hibiscus flower and realize that this is life, this is all we have. And within all the pain and sorrow and loss that life encompasses, there's always some love or there's always some happiness. There's always a good joke. Life in our country right now is so tragic and trying. I'm only hoping that it'll bring us all closer together. That was Danny Castro, formerly Robinson, and his husband, Alan, recounting their blessings. They were the first guests on our show 10 years ago. They celebrated 45 years together this January as a couple.
Honolulu Civil Beach Reality Check today has a story about the use of Plavix here in the islands. A lawsuit uh, uh, filed uh, raised questions about whether the blood thinning drug may have been harmful to Pacific Islanders and Asians. Uh, reporter Eleni uh, Avendano joins us this morning. Hi, Eleni. Aloha. So your story today is about a judgment that was handed down in the case. Yes, so this um, judgment really caught our attention because of the scale of the court order penalty um, that the Hawaii judge has ordered. Um, and the judge is ordering the drug makers of a blood thinning medication called Plavix, as he said, to pay $834 million for illegal marketing and a failure to warn Hawaii consumers and doctors, too, about um, either the fact that the drug might not actually be effective for certain patients. And so this company is what, Bristol-Myers Bristol Squibb? Yeah, so this story actually, it starts, the the Hawaii Attorney General's office sued the companies back in 2014. Um, and, you know, this is an ongoing legal battle, but the story goes back all the way to 1998. Um, and that's when um, this blood medication called Plavix first hit the market here, and the makers are Bristol-Myers Squibb and three U.S.-based subsidiaries of a French company called Sanofi, and they produced this medication, which was designed for patients to prevent strokes um, and heart attacks, um, but Judge, uh, Hawaii Circuit Court Judge Dean Ochiai, who conducted a four-week trial back in November by Zoom video teleconference, um, he came to the conclusion that these companies violated our Hawaii consumer protection laws uh, by marketing and selling this medication without including some important information on its label. And, and that's a disclosure that the medicine could have a, a quote, diminished or no effect for some people, uh, particularly of East Asian and Pacific Islander ancestry. Um, and just to go and explain that a little bit more, uh, the way the drug works is your body's own enzymes need to activate the drug. And everyone's enzymes vary depending on genetics. So there was one study that found 14% uh, of Chinese patients are um, unable to metabolize the drug properly. So, you know, in some, what the Hawaii court, circuit court finds is the drug makers deliberately did not disclose this information to doctors and patients uh, from 1998, and it wasn't until the FDA issued a new warning label in 2010 that this was made clear. So, um, so what was the company's response? Are they going to appeal this? Yes. So Bristol-Myers Squibb and Sanofi said they will appeal this court order, um, and they said they were, quote, at odds with the evidence at the trial, um, and they feel the decision is unsupported by law. Um, but it's interesting to note that they're facing a similar lawsuit by the state of New Mexico. Um, and in West Virginia, I think it was back in 2019, the companies uh, paid a $3 million settlement after a court there alleged that they had misrepresented Plavix as being more effective than aspirin. So this is uh, very much an ongoing, developing story. So th there'll probably be uh, uh, new th new things coming up. Yes, we are going to um, attend a press conference today at one thirty about it with um, the governor and the attorney general, and hear find out more about it. All right. Okay. And I know you've been very busy. Uh, this isn't the only story that uh, you're, you've uh, worked on. Uh, you also uh, talked about uh, uh, some data that's been. Um, uh, compiled, I guess, about the, the spike in deaths with COVID-19. Yeah, yeah. So my other story that came out today um, was taking a closer look at overall fatality rates here in Hawaii. And um, what's really interesting is if you sort of you take out the COVID-19 fatalities from the counts, um, our fatality or mortality actually has slightly dropped or remained relatively steady. Um, and so some you know, possible explanations for that is, you know, certain deaths um, could have been offset by reductions in tourist deaths. We didn't have as many visitors here last year. Um, traffic deaths have gone down, actually. And um, even the seasonal flu, we had a record low number of cases. And I understand even fewer suicides, right? Yes, yeah. So um, fewer suicides, although countries like Japan have recorded a decline in suicides, but later um, those suicide um, rates did uh, tick up. And um, historically, when you look at any 
economic downfall. Unfortunately, suicides are um, ultimately a, a trend that um, does does occur. Sometimes, you know, later years um, later, we'll find out as all of the death records come in. Okay. All right. Well, uh, like I said, I know you've been very busy with these stories, uh, uh, and then uh, you'll be uh, covering that press conference later this afternoon. But thanks so much, Eleni. Mahalo. That was reporter Eleni Avendano with today's Reality Check. Read her stories online at civilbeat.org. This is The Conversation on listener-supported Hawaii Public Radio. Astronomer Christopher Phillips joins HPR's Dave Lawrence with news that scientists have detected a new planet. Here's your Tuesday Stargazer. Stargazer time, our weekly look into the massive universe around our tiny troubled planet. And as usual, we're fortunate to have astronomer Christopher Phillips guide us through our report. Hey, Chris, welcome back. What do you have this week? Hey, Dave. It's good to be here. So this week, stargazers look out for Mars in the southern sky after sunset. It will be visible till around midnight. The moon this week will be passing through its first quarter phase and will become a brighter presence in our night sky towards week's end. And I understand you have news about the discovery of a new planet? Potentially, yes. Astronomers using the Very Large Telescope, VLT, in Chile may have stumbled across a new planet while studying the Alpha Centauri system, which, at four and a half light years, just happens to be right next door, in cosmic terms. This potential planet, which appears as no more than a few bright pixels in the image, may be about the size of Neptune. But what's fascinating is that it may lie in the habitable zone of this star system. So it sounds like this thing's not confirmed and is more of a potential thing. Tell us more. Exactly. What we have is a detection. And normally when making these kinds of optical detections, we have to follow up with an observation to confirm the presence of whatever it is. Perhaps in this case, it will be spectroscopy to determine the presence of a planet. And why didn't we spot this before, Chris, if it's so close? Well, Alpha Centauri is fairly bright, and so spotting planets that are close in towards the star is difficult because the signal from the star overwhelms that from any orbiting planets. Astronomers using the VLT were able to get around this by using an instrument known as a coronagraph. And this is something that's used to block out signal from the star? Exactly. It's the astronomical equivalent of holding out your thumb to block out a bright light. By using a coronagraph, astronomers were able to spot the faint signal from this object, whatever it may turn out to be. And this would be a first, huh, because planets aren't thought to form in multiple star systems. Indeed, and Alpha Centauri is actually a triple star system, so finding a planet in such a complex configuration would be good news for planet hunters everywhere. Well, we'll be looking for a follow-up at some point in the future and another exciting report from you, Christopher Phillips. Thank you so much. You're welcome, Dave. And I'm Dave Lawrence. We'll catch you next week with Stargazer, which you can find at hawaiipublicradio.org. Support for Stargazer comes from Haleakala Ranch, with a legacy of livestock, conservation, and land stewardship since 1888, working to create, maintain, and preserve open spaces for the Maui community. More at haleakalaranch.com. today's Backyard Quiz, we asked what kind of animal was named after comedian Frank DeLima at the Honolulu Zoo. Last year, the zoo welcomed two baby twin lemurs. Because of the lemurs' playful nature, they named one for Mel, they named one Mel for the late comedian Mel Kabang, and the other one Frank DeLima, or Frank DeLemur, to be exact. These ring-tailed lemurs can only be found outside captivity in their native Madagascar. As of 2017, there were only about 2,000 ring-tailed lemurs left in the wild, making the species critically endangered. The human Frank DeLima wrote a song to commemorate his namesake. Congratulations to Christy Bridges. You got it right. 
That's today's quiz. If you have an idea for one, send it to talkback at hawaiipublicradio.org. Oh, I'm proud to be a Madagascar lemur. My twin and me are really fun to see. His name is Mel and mine is Frank the lemur. We're named after men of comedy. Oh, it's nice to be a Madagascar lemur with big black eyes and full of energy. We have a cute and comical demeanor as we play and jump from tree to tree. And we are continuing our thread with Frank DeLima. We are just coming off President's Day and the second impeachment trial of former uh, President Donald Trump. After the first trial, we heard from comedian Frank DeLima, who wrote an impeachment song. We wondered if there would be a second parody, but Frank said no. He has been busy, however, writing other things, including one song that pokes fun at getting old and dealing with aches and pains that come along with advanced years and the golden age of life. Take a listen to 76 Hormones. 76 hormones give me plenty stress with 110 aches and pains close at hand. That followed by lumbago, sciatica, and vertigo, so grab my cane and let's get on with the show. 76 hormones cause my aching back with 110 prescriptions at the store. So sick of the doctor bills and one boatload of my pills. I like scream, but the troll doctor would give me more. That was a snippet of one of the latest delightful songs recorded by Frank DeLima. You can download his musical parodies and make a donation to his nonprofit, which has long helped our young students to build character and to encourage them to succeed in school and find their way in life with a smile on their faces. We sat down with DeLima last week and asked him about the inspiration for 76 Hormones. Well, I was talking to my friend, David. Alisman, and he was, you know, he's been having back aches and operations for his shoulder and for all kinds of stuff for a long time. And so I said, Well, David, aches and pains come with all of us, but I really am not envying you with all that you have. And I said, Then it's your birthday coming up. And he said, Oh, yeah, I'm going to make 76. And I started singing, 76 hormones give me plenty stress. And he just cracked up laughing for almost five minutes. He, just, he and I both started. I said, well, that's, you know, he said, that's a good song. And so he sent me a couple of lines to continue. And then that meant he wanted me to finish the rest. I didn't know it was that long, the song. But I, I got enough aches and pains to be able to do it. Okay. You could relate. <laughs> so, yeah, I can relate. You know, from the head to the toe. Oh, my goodness. When you get older. So that's the inspiration of that song, and um, and that's it. Uh, what else? I'm writing songs for the kids, uh, updating songs. So what I do is I listen to the radio stations that they listen to, and then I pick out the songs that I think, well, that are very popular, like number one or number two on the hit parade. If the song fits, you know, the melody, the the beat, and there's a word in the song, the title word, that I would be able to change and to put in something where I can teach a lesson, then that's how I do it. That's the parodies I do. For example, I'm just doing a song. The song is entitled Dance Monkey. But ah, yes. what I did is I changed the words to talk about careers. So that one I just finished, and that's what I'm doing. I'm doing virtual with all the public schools, and I'm doing a few in person at the churches, like St. Anne's. And uh, then Our Lady of Good Counsel is scheduled, St. Elizabeth's, Holy Family, Sacred Heart. So I have all those uh, that I'll be doing in their churches. Okay, so, so it, the it's, social distance is really good. It's been a, a mix of in-person and, and, and remotely. Virtuals, yeah. yeah. And the virtuals, I didn't know how it was going to come across. But what the best thing to do was to just have them turn their mics off because of the delay. And I just performed as if I was performing in front of a camera. And that's it. No audience was there. And uh, it worked out really good that way because otherwise it's distractions. And so it's working out pretty good. The schools seem to like it so far. I did um, St. Michael's and uh, and then I'll do mid-pack. I'm going to do a recording. So and it goes on and on all the way to the end of March. So that's what I'm doing for the schools. I'm updating my song. 
And let's see, what else? Oh, as far as show business is concerned, well, there's nothing. <laughs> uh, Sadly. Almost a year, no work. But, you know, I, I just do songs anyway, and I send them to the radio station. You know, Mike Perry plays my songs, and, mm-hmm. and uh, Wayne Harada does it on his Facebook, and, and uh, John Berger writes it in the newspaper. So, you know, I just to keep myself out there and to help people to relax. And, you know, even in these tough times, oh, I feel so empty, you know, with, without doing Christmas and Mother's Day, Father's yes. Day and all the special events. Waikiki, well, I haven't worked in Waikiki for, for 15 years already. It's been a long time and the showrooms have been closed and now for, <laughs> and uh, so COVID really made it uh, tough for the entertainers. But, um, but we'll see. I'm going to be 72 so, you know, I'm managing to, I'm being proactive to see how I can still, you know, survive. Right, and, and, and uh, you're too young for the vaccine just yet. Uh, yeah, I'm too young for the vaccine. So I do my social distancing. I do my exercise. I walk around the mall. But it's, you know, it's uh, people know they're not, that you're not supposed to come up to people and talk to them. Right. So we have a pretty good social distancing at the mall. Everybody's paying attention. They all wear their masks. It's amazing how people are really following what uh, the guidance of uh, the lieutenant governor, you know? It's really great. Yes, I see it in the mall, Kala Mall. I see that all Moana, which is outdoors, so it's not as bad, but they still follow to the T, the social distancing and the masks. And, you know, they don't approach people. They don't come up close to people. And in the restaurants, of course, they have the plexiglass in a lot of the restaurants and of course, empty tables. So, you know, it's, it's like you're going out and you're by yourself. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I have to say... But there is people I, around. I have to say, I did go walking at the Honolulu Zoo, and you, ah. have, a, you have a namesake there. Yes, I do. The, the lemurs. <laughs> ah, yes. Yeah. Oh, I want to be a Madagascar lemur. That's what I really want to be. <laughs> so I did that song. I remember when that came out. Oh, my goodness. Did you find the Madagascar lemurs? And did you see my namesake? Yes. Also, Mel Cabang? Yes. Yeah, they named it Frank and Mel. <laughs> <laughs> so, so at least so you're keeping... That was fun. At least you're keeping busy doing uh, doing things? Well, songs. Yeah, yeah, just writing writing every day. I try to come up with new stuff, and it takes... You know, and then I watch, you know, TV, my favorite programs, and, and then, of course, virtual... School visits are now on. That's that's going to take uh, at least, you know, a couple hours a day for me. And then my walking is about an hour mm-hmm. and uh, maybe I get to a shopping or whatever. So I'd say my my day is pretty much full now. It's about, you know, six hours of exercise and school visits, virtuals or going to the schools and writing songs. And, uh, yeah, the only thing I miss is. Going in front of an audience and doing my comedy routines. But I'm sure by the end of the year, that will come back. Yeah, someday you know? soon. So we just got to get you vaccinated. and uh... <laughs> Yeah, get every, all my audience. It's all being vaccinated already. <laughs> the last, I, it's supposed to be 60 and up to 75. But I don't know when that's going to happen. I right. think maybe, maybe March. Yeah, maybe. we have to wait our turn. Know. We have to wait our turn. So what are what other songs are you working on if it's not a, a second impeachment song? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, once is enough for me on that song. The material has been used, and so um, no, no more, no more impeachment songs. But I am uh, doing, like I said, for the schools, mm-hmm. and I did do a song about masks a while ago. I'm not sure if right. people heard it, but that was about the social distancing and everything. Mask maker, mask maker, make me a mask. Make me look fine, that's all I ask. Mask maker, mask maker, it's the new look. Please make me a perfect mask. All right, well, we certainly uh, thank you for uh, spending some time with us. And uh, keep on writing, keep on singing, keep on making a smile. (laughs) Okay, I will. Mask maker, mask maker, make me a mask. Make me look fine, that's all I ask. Mask maker, mask maker, it's the new look. Please make me a perfect mask. 
Mask maker, mask maker, what get for sale? Show me in Zoom, all in detail. Make me a style that helps me breathe clear and doesn't pull off my ear. Get colors, black, white, or aqua, magenta, purple, orange, or green for me. Well, give me whatever as long as it helps stop COVID-19. Mask maker, mask maker, make me a mask. If you don't mind, please make it fast. Day after day, I'm stuck home alone without... Support for Hawaii Public Radio comes from the Honolulu Museum of Art, presenting works in glass by Hawaii artist Jonathan Swans in the exhibition Parallel at HOMA First Hawaiian Center. More at honolulumuseum.org. After the Great Recession, North Dakota suddenly became a hotspot for oil jobs. So you had guys sleeping in their trucks outside the job services office, everybody kind of looking for work and um, also looking for a place to live. I'm Kimberly Adams, a story of one man's toil from the oil fields, next time on Marketplace. Beginning this evening at 6, following All Things Considered. Support for Hawaii Public Radio comes from Matson, committed to strengthening island communities by donating ocean shipping for food bank networks, including Oahu's Hawaii Food Bank and neighbor island food banks. Matson.com. That does it for today. Tomorrow we check in with the National Guard as the Hawaii contingent returned from Washington, D.C. following the inauguration and a handful tested positive for COVID-19. We would like to hear from you. Have you been vaccinated? What's been your experience? Call our Talkback line, 808-792-8217. Email us at talkback at hawaiipublicradio.org. Post your comments on Facebook at The Conversation, HPR, or tweet us at HI Conversation. I'm Catherine Cruz. Join us tomorrow for more of The Conversation.